is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Ohio had more than 16,000 children referred to child welfare agencies last month, according to the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. More than 5,000 of those referrals were made for neglect. But some who study the child welfare system in the U.S. argue neglect is another word for poverty, and they question whether more could be done to support parents and keep families together. Today on the show, we're going to talk about a new effort to keep local families intact. Joining me in this recorded interview to talk about the child welfare system and some of the resources available for families are Hamilton County Job and Family Services Deputy Director of Children's Services, Alex Patswall. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Every Mother's Advocate, founder and CEO, Charlie Chavijan. Thanks for being here, Charlie. It's an honor. Thanks for having us. And CityLink Center Client Services Manager, Emily Boys. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Alex, how many children are separated from their families in Hamilton County each month or each year? I don't know which how it's best to talk about that. And what are the main reasons for those separations? So in 2023, we took 959 children into Hamilton County's custody. Um, When we look at the breakdown of the reasons why children are entering custody, neglect is the number one um, indicator, and that can encompass a lot of things, right? That can encompass um, medical neglect, educational neglect. I mean, there's lots of different buckets that go into that piece. Um, The other kind of highest buckets of um, families coming into the child welfare system are parents, caregivers who are experiencing substance abuse issues, um, intimate partner violence, and um, physical abuse. Hmm. And so um, we are happy that we have been working very diligently to try to... um, ensure safety in the least restrictive way and looking at different um, providers within the community that can assist us with that. And so we are happy also that we had 879 kids exit care in 2023. And so um, a 45% of that was reunification of families. And then another big number of that was adoptions that were finalized through um our child welfare adoptions program. So we um, we definitely have a large number of kids in care in totality. We have about 2,000 kids in total in mm-hmm. care currently. Okay. And so um, I should be able to do this, but my math skills are not great. So how many children do not get reunited with their families? Or I know, uh, you know, I don't know if that's last year or you mentioned... Uh, a number 800 and something were reunited in some way or exited care in some way. Yeah. So 879 actually exited care. Um, Of those, 11.8% of those were kids who aged out at age of majority. So they did not have permanency and they were not reunified with their family, Mm -hmm. um, which is a very uh, significant and detrimental outcome for children. And so something we really want to focus on and and minimize. Um, And so I think that's the 
biggest, also um, custody to kin. So we do um, have a large push right now, and we've been working very hard on ensuring that we are putting kids with kin when we can't put them um, with their own families instead of putting them into stranger foster care. And so we have been working on that push and supporting kin families for quite some time. And we actually are now at a point in 2023 where we almost have the same number of kids in kin care that we do in stranger foster care. So we have 828 kids in stranger foster care and 740 in approved kin homes. Oh. So um, do you all uh, or do you have the numbers with you to show how many kids do get reunited with their uh, with a biological parent or with the family that they were removed from, I should say? Yes. So, I mean, I have the number for 2023. Three hundred and eighty two children were um, returned to a parent, guardian or custodian. Mm -hmm. So that could be obviously they were already in the custody of grandma and they were removed from grandma and then they were reunified with grandma. But we consider the bucket of reunification. Um, they're reunified with their original caregiver. Okay. And that was what, about a, a third of the kids that you took into care? It's 43.46. Okay. Okay. Charlie, some people who study, as I mentioned in the introduction to this conversation, who study the child welfare system really interpret neglect as another word for poverty. Mm -hmm. Alex said there are lots of different ways that the county looks at neglect, lots of different reasons for neglect. How do you interpret that word? When you hear about neglect, what, what are you here. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and Alex is right that it is really complex. And the data is very complex, because oftentimes, there's also more than one reason why a case is opened. Um, and so they're not mutually exclusive numbers. Um, oftentimes, we every mother's advocate is headquartered in South Florida. So we have the most context of the data in that county. Um, but it is linked to unmet basic needs whether it's unstable housing um, or inability to get medical care, truancy, some oftentimes with school, where if you look at just the, you know, the human basic essentials, that those are lacking in the home. Um, and it is something that we look at and say, are those the preventable causes of the system? Are those the things that we could course correct sooner um, if a mother is working paycheck to paycheck and living at near below the poverty line, all of her problems become really interlocked. And so within our work, that's oftentimes when we interact with a mom is one thing leads to another. Her child is sick. She's calling out of work. Her paycheck is smaller. She can't pay her light bill. And it just becomes this cascading effect on a family. Now, uh, the department uh, or JFS is knocking on their door because a report was made. And so anytime there's that le heightened level of surveillance, um, you're going to start poking and prodding and find something. And so we say, hey, are, are those the preventable causes within the system that we could address sooner? Alex, um, how big an issue is poverty for children who enter the system in, in Hamilton County? I mean, you mentioned there are lots of different ways to look at neglect, medical neglect, educational neglect, but how often does poverty play a role in that? So I would say it plays a huge role. And I, 
I kind of like to use the word access versus poverty because really what we find is that there's just a lack of access to resources. So even with medical neglect, there might be a lack of access to transportation, so where they just can't get them to those appointments, or a lack of access to even grocery stores in your own neighborhood, right, to be able to feed your kids even if you had (laughs) the assistance to do so. And so really um, even when you look at access to digital equity, you know, having the access to all of the things that we kind of take for granted. And so I I see that a lot with our families, that they really lack the access and support systems that they need to be able to um, focus on child safety. Mm -hmm. Emily, do you have a sense, based on what you hear from families who are served at CityLink Center, how much local families really worry that that lack of access or that lack of resources will uh, result in losing their children. I know just from past reporting I've done, I've talked to moms who hide their homelessness because they're mm. worried their kids will be taken away from them if, if you know, the government finds out that they're sleeping in their car. How, mm-hmm. What do you hear from families about that? Yeah, I really appreciate, Alex, that you used the word access And by design, CityLink is trying to solve for that in one location by bringing access to critical resources like income, budgeting, transportation, childcare, all in one space. And as someone's coming to CityLink Center, they definitely share with their service coordinator, which is the person that works one-on-one with them, about what they're worried about. And their children is first and foremost. So we do hear concerns from families that as they are looking to new careers, How can I provide for my family right now? If I take this risk and try to find myself in a new career, trying to grow my income and not live paycheck to paycheck, how can I do that but also continue to provide the things that my family, my children really need? And so that's where I feel like at CityLink Center, we're able to start breaking down some of those barriers by offering things in one spot. Mm-hmm. And what made CityLink Center interested in offering Charlie's program at, at where you are? That's great. Uh, it's actually been over a year that we've been in conversation with our local job and family services and every mother's advocate about what this would look like here in Cincinnati. So the first and foremost is that uh Every Mother's Advocate, also known as EMA, shares some really common beliefs with CityLink Center. And that's that as someone is surrounded by services that are centered to them, that can really lead to long-lasting change. And that they can achieve those goals when the services are surrounding them. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's first and foremost a belief that we share. And the second is that support is critical and that we can't do things alone. And so with the Every Mother's Advocate model and with CityLink Center, we believe that volunteers in our community are a big part of building that support for someone. We're talking in this recorded interview about the child welfare system and efforts to keep families together. So, Charlie, your organization works to prevent these separations. How do you do that? What does that work look like? Yeah, so we uh, developed this program in South Florida, tested and reiterated that model for about three years, uh, where many of the referrals that would come through were through Child Protective Services and the ones that are flagging the level of risk for families. Uh, Many of them put on what we would call a safety plan, 
and EMA is a part of that plan. So we have this sort of two-prong approach in how we wrap around families. One arm is this role of an EMA coordinator that functions much like a case manager, social worker, making sure mom has access and is connected to the right support. And then this other arm of a volunteer advocate. So we said missing in that relationship with a with a social worker and a client, if you will, is this really oftentimes relational piece. So those volunteer advocate are women we recruit and train to journey with one mom in her crisis towards stability. So they work on a little parenting curriculum, which is really a conduit to build a relationship while engaging and learning and enhancing these parental skills around nurturing environment and safety and, and whatnot, very holistic. But they're that relational, emotional, intangible support. They're the champion in, in her corner where many of uh, much of society might look at mom and say, she's the problem. And we look at mom and say, actually, she's a huge part of the solution. And if you can equip and empower her to raise her children in a safe, stable, nurturing environment, that's going to be the thing that makes the real difference. So you've got two people in your corner that are advocating for you and making sure you're equipped with the right skills and resources to be successful. Is there a typical profile of the moms you serve in terms of their education level or income level? What are, who, who are you typically seeing in the program? The program is designed for women who, moms or parenting women who are at near below the poverty line. And um, yeah, we've seen a lot of themes in the data we've been able to collect in terms of many of them the top level of education is high school or a GED, equivalent to a GED. Um, about 50% are unemployed when they begin the program, average age, average age 30, and average number of kids about two. So 98% of them are single or have an unmarried partner. And um, yeah, we see really the very much the vulnerable and the marginalized and uh, that are experiencing a lot of social isolation with all of those sort of barriers in place when it comes to income and education and single parenting, father absence, all of those things uh, can feel really overwhelming to a mom. Mm -hmm. What do the moms typically need most from the people who are there supporting them from your organization? I mean, are these I can imagine that there are uh, transportation challenges, there are housing challenges, there are you know, all kinds of challenges. What do these moms need most in terms of support? Yeah, we our model really takes on this individualized approach that it's easy to want to sort of blanket the needs of, that every family is going to come in with. And at the same time, the reality is they're all very, very different. And so how do we create sort of a targeted case management process for you that we're just identifying what you as an individual need and how we can help you get there? So that is really self-guided by the parents themselves, the moms themselves of saying, you know you better than anyone at this table. What do you want to achieve and how do you want to get there? And then what do you need us for to help support that process? So we have options for you. We have suggestions and recommendations and services we would, you know, have come really vetted. And at the same time, it's got to be guided uh, by you and really lean into that motivational interviewing process. So I don't know if it's a one size fits all in terms of what they need, but I can say what 
really like our greatest theory of change is deeply relational, that many of these women come in with very little levels of social support, whether that's just because they were born into sort of that broken cycle or they burned every bridge with people for the sake of surviving. And um, that is something to connect these women into a community that cares about them, that is an empowering and dignifying experience. You're not a problem to be solved. You're a person to be loved. And that's a felt experience that we hope and strive to make sure that every mother experiences while during her time in this program. Alex, what kinds of families do you imagine fitting well within this system? I, I guess I wonder, for example, what about if there are allegations of abuse that bring a family into the system in Hamilton County? Is is this program kind of off the table at that point? Is it, you know, are there different sort of um, characteristics that a, a client needs to have to really be a good fit for this program? I think there is some eligibility criteria that has been developed and is also being kind of um, still developed based on our population needs. Um, but uh, we are planning on piloting it in our assessment division. Obviously, um, we are looking at families who are still together. Um, and we, we want to keep them together. And so these families may be on a safety plan for something such as physical abuse. Um, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be um, benefits to or a benefit to this program or the program a benefit to them. Um, so I don't I don't think that I would rule out a family based on an allegation um, because obviously, Allegations are just that. They're allegations, right? And so we we assess safety in every family that we open. Um, and I think there will be, um, you can really kind of tell in your initial interactions with a family what their support system is, what their access looks like, um, et cetera. And so that's how we're going to vet um, our referrals into EMA. Mm-hmm. Charlie, do you find that uh, moms and people who work with your program, do many of them have prior involvement with the child welfare system? And does that make a difference in terms of how your program works with them? That's a great question. I know that so far since we've begun asking that question of past history and run-ins with the system, we've seen about a quarter of them do have past involvement. Um, and 75% do not. So this is their first run in. And um, yeah, that's that's really just the statistics that we're seeing at this time. Mm-hmm. Alex, my understanding is that pre- family preservation or family reunification has been a priority at Hamilton County JFS for, for some time now. What other supports and systems do you all have in place to kind of help that happen? So yes, obviously, um, a child welfare intervention is traumatic and intrusive into any family's life. And um, so we have worked diligently to try to engage our community partners and and their resources. Child welfare is a reactive system by nature. Something has already happened, right? Um, But so that's why we are working with our partners within um, our community to try to um, implement more prevention services. We do have some prevention services that we work with. Um, We also have a contract right now um, with Cohere, who is out in the community, 
um, really listening to our community and what they need from us. And so we're trying to get that feedback from them. Um, but we have spent a, um, we also have put out a request for proposal for prevention services. And so we are in the process of doing 12 different contracts for preventative services for our families um, to hopefully assist in keeping families together and preventing removal. What other kinds of preventative services do you think could be helpful? Um, I think there's an array of services that could be helpful for our families. Obviously, there are tangible resources that our families need. And so that is first and foremost. If a family's basic needs aren't met, they can't focus on anything else. So if we're involved for medical neglect because a child is significantly um, has some significant medical needs and parents aren't able to meet those needs really because of lack of access to resources or services, we want to try to wrap them with those services and to assist them to get that child the care he needs without having to um, remove that child or put that child in a different um, setting in order to get their needs met. Mm -hmm. Emily, how do you think the services provided by every mother's advocate can really fit into the network of other supports that exist at CityLink? As we've gotten to know EMA, they have shared with us that in their other communities across the nation that their programs are networking with different people in the community to provide those resources of financial and income, uh, child care, transportation, all of these things that are critical to our everyday life. And at CityLink, what's so unique is they're in one building. And so what a nice fit to have a program that is geared towards family preservation and something that's so crucial to Hamilton County right now in CityLink Center, where we can provide those services in one space and really surround that mother with support. Charlie, how many families do you expect to serve in Hamilton County, and how are you going to define success for your organization here? I believe Cincinnati's goal, CityLink's goal, is about 70. (laughs) <laughs> You're asking me the wrong question. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 70 families. Yeah, that's right. 70 families to be served in the first year. And um, that the main goal and sort of KPI of the program is really tracking how many of those families stay together that were once flagged by JFS as, hey, there's risk here of these children entering foster care. What percentage of those families can we preserve? And not just preserve for the sake of keeping more kids out of foster care, but really get them to a place of self-sufficiency and stability. And now they have access to this holistic support uh, community through CityLink that doesn't have to end. So obviously CityLink is very focused on alleviating poverty through employment. And that is a big part of a lot of what a lot of the families are experiencing. So It's not just a come and go and graduate this program and you're on your own, but they're really baked into the supporting community for the long haul. Yeah, Alex, how does Hamilton County JFS plan to measure the success of this program? What will you be looking for to feel like this is working? I mean, I think we'll be looking at similar measures, right? We'll be looking at did we, were we able to, you know, keep the family intact? And then also I think this is probably more down the line, but we want to look at rates of recidivism, right? And so how could, did we get this family to a place of stability and did we keep them from coming back to Child Welfare's front door? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I've been talking with Hamilton County Job and Family Services Deputy Director of Children's Services, Alex Patsfall, Every Mother's Advocate founder and CEO, Charlie Chavijan, and CityLink Center Client Services Manager, Emily Boys. Thank you all so much for your time today. Up next, we'll get some February film recommendations from film critic T.T. Stern-Enzi. This is Cincinnati Edition.